911, what's the nature of your emergency? Good morning, police, fire, military, and families, and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton, and I am joined by my friend, Mr. Mike Demo. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. So we are doing a three-part series. This is part two of three. And for anybody that missed it, the last series that we did, um, Demo, you talked about the fact that you were the guy that was managing the largest battle in the air when we had the Iraq war going on. And it was so insightful. You dropped a lot of things that most civilians wouldn't be privy to. So if you haven't already checked out that episode, go ahead and check it out on the the last one. And for today, Demo, we're going to be talking about reacclimation into civilian life. You're going to talk about post-first deployment, your second deployment, separation, abandonment issues, and then what happens when you actually try to talk to somebody and to open up when you're starting to experience maybe some some post-war symptoms, we'll say. So I'm going to let you take the lead here and start wherever you'd like. Cool. So I think the best place to start is February of 05, uh, right when we transition back to the the States and actually talk about what transition looks like in the military. Um, You're overseas for months on end, things happen. Um, the transition program for you is like three days before you leave, they have a class. Uh, the crux of it is don't go beat your wife, your kids, don't kick your dog. And yeah, that's basically it. And then within 24 hours, you're back in your own bed, which is kind of weird. It's a big shift. Um, you know, the World War II generation, they had to take a boat over. So they had time to be with their their tribe, if you will, and be able to walk through, hey, you know, that, that, that kind of sucked. Or, hey, remember when that happened? That was great. With the way that everything is, it's more transient in nature. And a couple days later, you're back home. And that's it. Like, figure it out. You'll be fine. You know, thumbs up. It's cool. So when you know you're going to be discharged, you have... You can you could be like frantic and and going through all of the motions of being in the military, and then you have this three day window of trying to reestablish yourself after you have worked your ass off to become this soldier. Yeah, and then you're expected to just understand know how to operate as a civilian. Yeah, and in my case, because I was a reservist, like this this was just my first deployment. Like we'll, we'll get to the second one. That that's a hoop. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the process. Um, you know, in the military, you're a asset, but you're an asset to them. Mm -hmm. You know, their goal is to make you as good at your job as possible. And then on the back end, I mean, there's people that could be in 20, 30 years. And it's like a week before you leave. Oh, Hey, go like, it's getting better now, but hot steaming garbage. Mm -hmm. So I'm 23 at that point. Um, well, one month after that. So 23 by the time I get off orders in June of 05. What do you do for work at that point? Well, you don't have a degree. So evidently underwater basket weaving as a degree 
qualifies you for a job, but actually knowing what you're doing doesn't. It's a weird dichotomy we have going on in the economy now. And I was just trying to find work so I could go back to school. Um, I had the intentions to become an officer, so needed to get through the school so that I could do that. And that was the process. Like, that's what I was going to go do. The only jobs available, Hallmark, pay seven some odd dollars, which I'd worked there before, which is why I had an in to get back for about $7 an hour. Solid. It just wasn't going to work. Um, I was actually painting houses four months after I got back from Iraq for 10 bucks an hour because that's just what the economy was. And that it was fine until um, the guy didn't pay me and that's not acceptable. So I actually ended up going back to work with uh, Cutco, uh, the knife company. Um, we've chatted about it before, but not everybody knows who they are. It's direct marketing, uh, referral-based uh, sales in essence. And I sat down with a guy that's actually a mentor to me, John Wasserman. And I told him like, I'm 23. I'm not one of these like, you know, 18 year olds, high school kids, whatever it is. Like I'm looking to grow. Like I've done real things in the world. Like I want to be where you are and I want to do that like as soon as possible. And in the course of a month and a half, I qualified for president's club, um, which is the top 5% of about a quarter million people and was promoted to management with the company and did that through the school year. So I took uh, five classes, your normal hard caseload at school, and then also worked 50 hours a week and got internship credits for it. It was pretty cool. Um, if any of y'all have kids that are, you know, just graduated high school or early college, it's a very good experience um, is how I would put that. The next summer, I ran my own branch office. So 24 years old, I'm signing a lease to like my own office. Uh, actually, me and my wife, we drove by there uh, this weekend when we took Ryan. Um, we were supposed to go apple picking. They didn't have apples. We were pear picking. Still got the picture. It counts. So like I'm doing all these things, and I was chasing the dragging in a way. Um, I don't know if on the law enforcement side that comes up, like you've done something that's so significant. You can't go back stocking beanie babies. Like you're looking for that next thing. And I ended up volunteering to go on another deployment. Um, not in my occupational specialty. Uh, they're putting together what's called a provisional security company. The six PSC is what it's called. And it was different units from all over the Marine Corps. And we we're going to get sent to, Africa to basically be backfill security. Did this have anything to do with, with the reason, did this have anything to do with your employment at that with, time? Employment with your employment at that time. Uh-huh. No. Um, I mean, I was doing okay uh, work-wise, school-wise. Um, just, I needed to get the heck out of here. Hmm. Like, there, it was not I didn't feel like I was working towards my mission. I didn't feel like I was doing something of purpose and I, I had to do something else. So I was actually at the point, this is um, 2007, where I didn't have to deploy because the drilling part of my contract was six years. I was past that. So I extended to do it. 
because my guys, I'm the platoon sergeant now. My guys are going. There's not a chance in hell I'm going to let them go without me because I've been overseas before. I've heard the things blown up near me. Like, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to be there for my guys. Turns out things got a little bit scrambled up as part of a provisional company. The hierarchies don't really stay in place. So I ended up being a fire team leader for four guys. And the leadership culture was very toxic. Um, You had a lot of people that hadn't been overseas before that didn't know how things really worked in the real world. And there was a lot of integrity issues, we'll say. And you've known me for a couple of years now, like that just doesn't fly with me. And I was angry every day. I mean, you've not, like, I don't raise my voice very often. It's not a good way to communicate. And I was yelling all the time. I was angry all the time with what was happening. So we get back from that deployment and I knew something wasn't right. Like that fun, happy guy that goofs around all this stuff. Like it, it didn't feel right. And, you know, they say things don't feel right. Like your law enforcement folks will probably hear that too. Normally it's after what, like a, you know, use of force incident or something like that, but they have, they go to the counseling because that's what you're supposed to do. So I raised my hand and I'm like, Hey guys, something's not exactly right here. So they tell me to go to the Navy hospital to, you know, do the evaluations and over a month, I'm talking with this uh, therapist at the uh, Newport Hospital, which is like an hour drive, hour and a half drive each way. So good use of time. And we're going through everything. And we, we do a deep dive. We do a really deep dive on everything. They go into some of the stuff from Iraq, the stuff from this current deployment, which was the presenting issue. And they ask a little bit about family, everything else. Long story short, they, the therapist, Mike, ironically, decided, you know what, with the anxiety things you have going on, I want to prescribe you something. I don't know what it is. I got a D in chemistry, not my specialty. So then I go to the psychiatrist, who's the prescribing person, and she sits me down, this middle-aged Navy captain, and she goes, all right, well... Mike recommended that we prescribe you whatever it is. So we're going to do that because we're doing that. That ties into this condition, which disqualifies you from service. Could have told me that beforehand. And I would have told you to go F yourself and not done anything. Um, Had my officer package ready to go. Um, I was actually up for meritorious uh, staff sergeant promotion and there's nothing my unit can do. I was the highest rated Marine. Demo, your audio just took a shit. Demo, can't hear you. <laughs> so funny, you guys. This is not the first time this has happened. Demo has the nicest, most expensive setup. You can't see it behind his screen. But this is now the third time that this has happened to us. And we cannot figure out his fucking audio just decides to say peace out. <laughs> so we'll just hang out. Let's see. Recognizing that someone that something wasn't right <clears throat> is not easy to do. 
Um, it is there. Sometimes we just don't listen to it. That's awesome that you recognized it, Mike. And wow, that's really bullshit. Yeah. Could you imagine being prescribed medicine? Try Dima. Nothing. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if we could fix this. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine fighting to have the courage to raise your hand and to speak up and say, you know, after my service, the second deployment, I come back home and now something doesn't feel right. And then to not be told what the repercussions were of trying some random medication. And I know from having experience in the medical field, go ahead, Dima. Nope. <laughs> um, everything is black and white. So I would imagine with that medication, there was this certain analysis that, um, what are you doing here, Mike? Oh, there we go. I'm not a quitter. I'll find a way. So we're back, baby. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So that, and that, that goes back to my Marine Corps, like with communications is you have to have your primary net, your secondary net and your tertiary net. So, uh, iPhone would geeky head pots. That's number two. If we have to go to number three, it's going to get serious. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I heard what you were saying and you're absolutely right. It's, it's one of those things like I didn't go there necessarily because I thought I was going to kick my dog or like, I thought there was like a big issue on my side. Like it's just, I knew something wasn't right. I knew what had happened was messed up. And like, I knew I was having a reaction to that. What I didn't expect was everything else that came from it. Like literally Ashley. So she told me to go to my unit, hand him a piece of paper and instead of reenlistment and promotion, it's, wait, you've got to leave? What, what are you talking about? What, what do you mean you're not in the Marines anymore? Like, it was so haphazard and hacked. Like, I didn't even get handed a DD-214. Like, that piece of paper you need for everything? Yeah, no, I don't have an original copy of that. Like, it's it's a, it was a hot mess. And, you know, we talk about the abandonment issues I'd had from, you know, custody issues when I was a kid. And now the thing that I wanted to do the most was gone. And it wasn't a transition period. It was pack, you know, well, pack up your stuff. Um, sorry to see you go. Like there was no going away thing. Like normally they do like a little shadow box or something like that. Nothing like, Hey, you're just, you're not here anymore. You're gone. 25 years old, like everything I'd planned for completely wiped out. It, um, yeah, it was probably the hardest thing that I've ever had happen because I put everything into that and there's no plan B. You know, I was going to college to get a degree so I could become an officer. That that's what I was doing. And it's all gone. It's all gone. And, you know, I think for your audience, especially like, you know, we called it the big green weenie, um, you know, the Marine Corps. I mean, it's, it's like that. It's like you're doing a job where you're the best at it and you'd think you're somewhat irreplaceable and for administrative reasons, you're gone. You know, like I've seen it happen nowadays with, uh, law enforcement, all the crazy stuff that's happening. It's like, it's not just, it's not right. 
and the problem is, you know, this is 2008 now. There's no thing like PTSD. They used a flip chart to say, oh, you know, it's split testing basically. If you're this, go this way. If you're not, go this way. You go down a couple of layers and that's how they diagnosed everything. And their answer to me for PTS was, well, you didn't actually shoot your rifle? No. No, see, up up over there, there's this thing called a jet. And on that jet, there's these things called bombs. I controlled those and they would drop 200 yards outside of my base. Oh, well, that's not actual combat. No, getting sniper fire, hitting your building like every other day, getting mortared. None of that. So like, there's a systemic issue with all that. And, you know, again, if you thought the Iraq transition was bad, that was one day. Like, bye, Felicia. Have a good day. See you later. I mean, there's no administrative leave. You're just gone. Like, you have no job. You know, I moved back in with my mom. You know, it was, it was an absolute, you know, just disaster. So, yeah, you get in yeah they say to redefine uh, these you're... government, yeah. these governmental agencies make examples out of someone by getting rid of them instead of giving them the actual help that is needed. Oh yeah, you know, and this is twelve years on from then. Now, you think the VA like disability ratings, any of that stuff? I've actually got the paperwork right over there. Try again, because um, I'd taken a fall when I was in Iraq, messed up my neck and my back. Like nothing. And it's one of those things where like, oh, why haven't you fought for disability ratings? Like, I didn't want that. I just wanted you to fix me. Like same thing when I went to go talk to the the therapist. Like I'm not looking for a handout. I'm just looking for you to like get me back so I can get back in the fight. And that didn't happen, obviously. <sighs> so my notes for uh, what we we're going to talk about next were on the phone and I'm now using said phone. <laughs> That's okay. So when it comes to that separation and that, that abandonment, because I know that from knowing you personally, and we talked about this a little bit, the very first time that I had you on the podcast, um, Mm -hmm. how you, you kind of were brought into the military with these pre-existing abandonment is, and then to serve your Mm -hmm. country for as long as you did. And to have such a passion and a drive to on your own merit, decide to further your education so that you can advance your career in in the military. And then to have them just pretty much give you two middle fingers. um, Really, that's the best way of of saying it. And you would, I would imagine feel the same sort of abandonment that you did at home and and with your dad and things that you talk about on your own podcast. So how did you Mm -hmm. make that transition into, into reintegration and find, find a way to continue on when your entire setup just changed, right? You're, you can't be the man you thought that you were going to be because the government said, no, sir, goodbye. And now you have to replan everything. How did you do that? About effectively as a dumpster fire in Portland right now. Um, It was, pretty much right there. I tried to go back to what I knew. Um, I got a lot of joy from running the office for Cutco um, because it it was a mentorship role. You know, at the end of the day, these are people that are 1099s that are working with me. I had, you know, on average about 50 folks that'd be, you know, sales reps working with me. 
And my job was to develop them. And in 2006, when I'd done that, I was the highest per rep or per salesperson productivity office in my entire division. So being able to do deep dives with people, teach them what they need to know, help them achieve their goals, like that edified me. And that felt good. So I thought, okay, well, I guess another version of Chasing the Dragon. Let me go do that. Because I tried working at the mattress store and I was good at selling beds. I actually had a really good bed um, from it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't edify you. Like it's not, it's not what it is. So I went back to doing that. Uh, 2008, I doubled basically the sales that I'd had in 2006. I won a trip to Cabo, which pretty cool. Didn't suck. Um, great perks. But I was hanging on by a thread and like, I would just get so anxious still. And like, I, I didn't have the ability, like in my life, I've not had structure. Um, that's why our previous mutual coach, Ryan, with the whole program, like the reason that helped me so much was because it helped bring organization to chaos. And I think that's what the Marine Corps did for me as well is it helped me have that. And that was gone. So I had to find a way to recreate that, put systems in place. But nobody ever taught me how to do that. That's not a skill they teach you in school. You know, they teach you how to be a good factory worker. They don't teach you how to be productive in today's society. They just don't. So I spent a couple of years actually running the office for Cucko, but I was still isolated. I had no tribe. Like all the people that I knew before I got into the Marine Corps, they were living totally different lives than what I would find to be acceptable. Um, and I was just trying to find my own way and being able to help people was a way to do that. Like I felt good about it, even though I was working a hundred hours a week, like I felt good when I saw other people have success and it was just, it was, it was too much. Um, I mean, 2009, I doubled again my sales from 2008. So in the middle of a recession, a sales organization doing better. It's crazy. 2010, it was complete crash and burn. Um, I just, I'd moved to a new territory again, didn't really know anybody. And it just, it just built up to the point where like I was just shutting down and I couldn't be the productive person. Um, ironically enough, something that my ex-wife had said that really, um, rang true during that whole process, which we can get to in the next episode. That's called a segue slash teaser, uh, in the biz. Um, (laughs) Not a great one, but whatever. <laughs> but she even says, like, it used to be a lot of fun. And you're not anymore. Like, that's not there. And that's actually been, like, as part of this whole process. Like, that's been one of the hardest things is, like, you lose so much of yourself in giving to, you know, your country, to other people that, you know, you end up losing a piece of self. And honestly, even now that's something that I I still work on. You know, the reacclimation process for me, we're now at 13, 12 years, I guess now since 2008, it's still a working process. And that, I mean, that's going to continue, you know, I'm not going to get to the level of greatness that I want to until I can 
have that structure and be able to help other people to be successful. Like I figured out through everything else, like the corporate job that I have, that doesn't edify me. I'm good at it. I make really good money doing it, but it doesn't like, that doesn't speak to me. The, the one-on-one helping other people be successful. That's what helps me. And, you know, we talked about the abandonment issue. I think that's my path to work through it is to help others with theirs. You know, I guess it's like the addict that becomes a counselor. Mm-hmm. You know, you see that so many times. I, and I think that's kind of what I need to do in order to help people be guided through these same processes. Cause I, I've had the conversations with my mom about all of her crap that's in my podcast. Um, Intentional disruption back catalog. You can find it. Um, but that, like, I've worked through what actually happened, and I'm okay with it. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you last night when we were talking before the show. Like, I wasn't able to sleep after Ryan woke me up. I'd be lying if I didn't say, you know, a month from now would be my retirement. I'd be a major in the Marine Corps you know, maybe Lieutenant Colonel at this point. And, you know, November 26, 2000 is when I joined, uh, went to boot camp. So November of 2020 would be when I'd be done. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely understand why um, you built such a strong foundation surrounding you being able to be successful in the military and then to just... <laughs> having them kind of kick you in the ass the way that they did. I can't imagine that. And I have a super selfish question for you, Demo, because I know there are a lot of people that might be listening to this who, whether it be in the military, police, fire, whatever their career might be, they could have experienced something or a compound of some things that create that sense of like, wait a second, something just isn't right here. And Mm -hmm. after hearing your experience of having the bravery, and I have to tell you, it is true bravery to speak up and say like, hey, something doesn't feel right. But for you, it, it was really like a decision that changed the trajectory trajectory of your entire life. So what advice would you have then with somebody that's holding on to that same kind of, I don't like to use the word fear, but if we're honest with ourselves, that's really what it is with speaking up, knowing that there could be such severe repercussions. It's a good question. And I think now the dynamics have changed a little bit to be understanding that these are real issues people are facing. Like, and especially for the cops, like I talk about the military, like I'd get mortared every couple of days. Like I'd be in high stress mental situations, but especially for law enforcement, like your husband, like you do a normal traffic stop and then you've got an active shooter and then you've got a domestic situation. Like it's better to get the help and work through it but make sure that you have an advocate, you know, don't accept things for what they are. Um, Our system nowadays, we're taught to just absorb information and understand it to be true. What I'd say is don't do that. Get the help, you know, raise your hand. It's not easy, but if you're noticing that things don't feel right, 
everybody around you does too. They just might not know how to talk about it. It's better to start the painful process and rip the Band-Aid off than to have the wound just fester inside. Like if you can feel that that pit of your stomach and like just that tension that you you know you would see when you have all these things and you know things aren't in equilibrium, do it. Don't don't do what I did, try to hide it with alcohol. Don't try to hide it with you know <laughs> whether it's womanizing, whatever whatever it is, like all the bad things that you see people do. Like don't do those things. Like attack the actual issue because you're going to get back to whole or your new version of whole faster by dealing with it head on. Um, I've, I delayed it. I didn't have the information to do it, you know, with what I know now, but it's better to do it, start the process and reach out for help. You know, somebody like yourself, you're a great resource. We've chatted back and forth for, what are we at? Almost two years now. I mean, reach out to somebody that has the skill to help you make the transition. Maybe not from your career to what you have to do after that. Maybe it's just from today till tomorrow. You know, get somebody that can help you learn what you need to know so that you can grow from whatever's happened and be successful going forward. How awesome is that to, to look at this process as um, how do how do I reach out and have somebody to advocate for me so that I can get through today? I love that because you're not making this commitment for the rest of your life. And I know even with hiring um, me as a coach or you as a coach, that's a long term commitment. But I love how you just mm-hmm. chomp that down so much, because when we can make a commitment to ask for help just for the day and then just to get through the day, like take a trial run like that. And mm-hmm. I also really liked you know, how you made mention of how much things have changed because certainly post 9-11 and then in law enforcement, first respond, like the whole entire community, there's this shift that's taken place. And we, on this side of the line, we do believe that it is PTSI and not a disorder, which means that it is something that you can definitely repair and make better for yourself. And you just explained that perfectly. So um, <laughs> good morning, you guys. Dima, we're wrapping this up. We have one more part to this theory that's going to take place next Wednesday at the same time. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, how can they? So on Facebook, uh, Coach Mike Demo, uh, on any of your streaming devices, uh, Intentional Disruption Podcast, if you want a little bit of my backstory, um, I'll give you a little exclusive right now if you needed to reach out to me. Uh, USMC3782 on Instagram is going to be the best way to reach me. I'm currently revamping all of my uh, coaching business stuff. So just reach out to my personal profile. Happy to talk to you. Cool. Thank you so much, Demo. And we will see you next Wednesday. All right. Have a good one. Bye guys.